0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. Father, I think about that devotion that Phil just delivered, and what a blessing that you've chosen us. I suspect we would wonder as much why you chose us as Phil would wonder why you chose him that day, Lord. And so we come here with grateful, thankful hearts that we are in relationship with you because of what you have done for us. Uh, We recognize no good in ourselves, Lord, but simply that you have loved us and set your love on us and so we come as as an act of worship to be here and hear your word i pray this morning as we talk about <clears throat> the danger of being accusing from these verses that you would help us to learn from shimei's example i'm sure it's a temptation that all of us can struggle with at times and so help us to be ministered to by your holy spirit and have the, find the application that's contained in these verses for us and we ask this in jesus name amen does it sound a little echoey is there something to adjust or are we okay so the title of this morning's sermon is shimei teaches us to avoid being accusing shimei teaches us to avoid being accusing you probably notice we're not in luke's gospel on sunday mornings we are going through luke's gospel verse by verse but if you've sat under my preaching for very long you know that i like to have the old testament illustrate new testament truths or commands that we have been discussing and over the last few weeks we've had sermons on forgiveness And so I wanted to have us, and the New Testament tells us that that's one of the points of the the Old Testament. Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 10 tell us that the Old Testament is given to us to provide examples and illustrations for us. So we finished a section on forgiveness last week, and I didn't want to talk about forgiveness for weeks without looking at an example in the Old Testament. This is the account that I've had on my heart. I've been taking notes on it for weeks, David and Shimei, but I want to briefly explain why this first sermon won't be able to deal with forgiveness like I anticipated when I began it at the beginning of the week. The longer I preach, the more I would probably describe sermon preparation if I had to compare it with something like sculpting, where text is like this clay and you're laboring over it, and every passage you hope God is forming into this sermon as you strive to be faithful to the text. We want the text to provide the sermon for us this is known as exegesis versus having some ideas and then finding some verses that support that idea that's known as eisegesis well when you come to a passage you might have something in mind but then as you exposit it or labor over it you find that there are other truths that are revealed and that's really the case in this passage as i was working on it i saw that it's the second half that deals with forgiveness there's really two characters in this account shimei and david and david will be the individual we'll look at regarding forgiveness but i didn't want to jump over everything with the first character in the account shimei who will be the topic of this morning's sermon i'm convinced there's lots of application for us and i hope the sermon blesses you or encourages you as much as it blessed me as i was preparing it now for this account to make sense we're going to have to back up and we're going to have to look at passages that reveal why shimei hated david so much Let me say one more time we're gonna have to look at some passages that reveal why shimei hated david so much we're gonna be jumping around a lot but i want to let you know i've tried to be very precise regarding the verses we've looked at even removing a couple of them as as, uh recently as this morning that i thought weren't necessary but every single verse we look at will be used later to help lay the foundation to understand why shimei despised david let's start with first samuel 22. go ahead to turn to first samuel 22 fortunately as we flip around it will it won't be outside of first and second Samuel the the locations will be pretty close together one other nice thing this will do is it will give you a little bit of a survey of David's life if you're not as familiar with him or even if you are familiar hopefully help you connect the dots and understand him even better so here's the context David faithfully served King Saul he was even willing to go out and fight the Philistine champion Goliath when Saul was unwilling to do so david continued to excel so much so that the people began singing a song about david and saul does anyone remember that song huh david saul's killed his thousands which sounds pretty good until saul heard that david had killed his ten thousands so the people were singing this and saul becomes insanely jealous of david and begins trying to murder him Afraid for his life, and under the encouragement of his close friend Jonathan, who was Saul's son, David flees to this cave. Look in verse 1. 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. David departed from there, and he escaped. He departed from Jerusalem for his life, and he escaped to the cave of Agilom. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So much of David's family came to join him when he was on the run, as well as some other individuals. Verse 2 says, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to David and he became commander or leader over them and there were with him about 400 men Now this is important and as I as we go through these passages hopefully you can start to put together how it could look like David had been responsible for the overthrow of the house of Saul and why Shimei would be so upset with him now when it says here that everyone who was in distress and everyone who was bitter in soul, or some translations say disgruntled, you need to know it means toward Saul, toward his reign. They're in distress and bitter in soul regarding the way Saul's running the kingdom. So, who did David's original team consist of? People that were frustrated or hostile towards Saul, and David became their leader. Turn to 1 Samuel 27 now. first Samuel 27. here's the context David has now been on the run from Saul for 10 to 15 years I think this is one of the uh lower points in his life where he becomes convinced that Saul is going to end up killing him and he knows that there's one place he can go where Saul will not follow him and where's that you do know to live with the Philistines He's going to head to philistia look at verse one david said in his heart i shall perish one day by the hand of saul there's nothing better for me than that i should escape to the land of the philistines this wasn't true but this is what he told himself then saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of israel and i shall escape out of his hand actually god had delivered david multiple times from saul and that could have given david confidence that god would continue to deliver him from saul Plus, God anointed David to become king of Israel, and until he became king of Israel, he really had nothing to fear from Saul. Skip to verse 4. When it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, this is one of the main Philistine cities, so when Saul hears the news that David fled to Gath, he no longer seeks him. Since Saul was told that David went to Philistia and David is a national hero after executing Goliath more than likely the news spread to others that David had left the borders of Israel to go dwell among or live among the Philistines look at verse 7. the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months so he lives there 16 months and it looked successful because when Saul received the news that David was living with the Philistines he no longer sought him but just because something seems to work from an earthly perspective does not mean that it's it's god's will for us and david's going to find himself in a difficult predicament here now one question you might have is because david was public enemy number one to the philistines he had killed their great champion goliath and when they sang that david had killed his ten thousands most or perhaps all of those ten thousands were philistines so why would the philistines let david come and live with them like this there's probably two reasons first they had probably heard about the rift that had taken place between the king of Israel Saul and his great general David so they know Saul wants to murder David so it's kind of like the enemy of my enemy has become my friend type of situation and the second reason that they believed David was he lied to them he was going out each day fighting against the enemies of God's people but he would report back to the philistines and tell them that he was defeating the israelites so to be clear david was living this lie for 16 months telling the philistines that he is defeating the israelites in battle when in fact he's going out and he's defeating the enemies of israel look at verse 12. achish this is the a leader within the philistines who seems to be overseeing david and achish trusts trust david Or excuse me look at verse 10. sorry about that look at verse 10. when achish one of the philistine leaders asks david where have you made a raid today david would say and this is a lie against the negev of judah or against the negev of the jeremiahites or against the negev of the kenites now look at verse 12. achish trusted david thinking he has made himself David has made himself an utter stench to the people of Israel therefore he shall always be my servant and would it have been attractive to Achish to have Israel's great champion the equivalent of Goliath coming and serving him that'd be absolutely attractive to Achish now David did such a good job convincing the Philistines that he had turned against Israel or become the enemy of Israel that when the Philistines went to battle against Israel who did they expect to go with them David had done such a good job convincing the Philistines or at least Achish that he had become an enemy of Israel that when the Philistines went to battle against Israel they fully expected David to come with them look in chapter 28 verse 1. in those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel and Achish the man who'd been overseeing David says to him understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army now you need to understand that when David is told this he is in an incredibly difficult predicament that I suspect he did not expect when he first went to live with the Philistines This is not a good situation david is not happy about the news he's received that he's expected to go out to battle against the nation that he's supposed to been anointed to become i mean just picture it fathom what we're reading here david is anointed to become the next king of israel he believes that these people he will rule over are the covenant people of god and now he finds himself in this impossible situation where he has two choices he must either go to battle against the israelites that he's expected to rule over the covenant people of god or he's got to do what admit that he was lying confess his true loyalty to the israelites which more than likely would result in his death and the deaths of all of his men and so what i think happened is in this impossible situation that david found himself in god providentially delivered david from it otherwise i'm not exactly sure what he would have done so they're going to go out to battle and some of the Philistine generals were not as convinced as achish that david was loyal to the philistines and so the philistines line up for battle david and his men line up for battle with the philistines about to go out against israel and some of the generals of the philistines look out and what do they say are those hebrews and of all or israelites and of all the hebrews or of all the israelites is david there with them we cannot bring David and his men out to battle or else in the middle of the battle he's going to turn against us look in verse four the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him this is Achish who wanted to bring David to battle and the commanders of the Philistines said send them back send David out of here that he may return to the place which you have assigned him he shall not go down with us to battle lest in the battle he become an adversary to us or turn against us for how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord would it not be with the heads of the men here in other words if David wants to get back into Saul's good graces what would accomplish that better than David turning against the Philistines in the middle of the battle and killing a bunch of them so they say send him home get him out of here David and his men are sent away look at verse 11 david set out with his men early in the morning and then notice this to return to the land of the philistines now that might surprise you but it's significant you might expect that when david was sent away that he was going to return where to israel perhaps because he's no longer welcome with the philistines but he doesn't and you need to keep this in mind david does not return to israel until after the battle when he receives the news of saul and jonathan's death so right in the verse there it says that David returned to continue living with the Philistines even when they went out to battle against Israel and he does not return to Israel until he receives the news that Saul and Jonathan have died in this battle so two important points to keep in mind the Philistines are going to go out to battle against Israel and this is the battle that Saul and Jonathan are going to die in and second David is with the Philistines the entire time that that battle takes place now you don't have to turn there but just listen to this verse about who joined David when he did leave the Philistines second Samuel 15 18. the Cherethites the Pelethites and this is the important part all the 600 Gittites who had followed David from Gath also passed on before him well, what is a Gittite a Gittite is someone from Gath and where's Gath gath is a principal philistine city who's probably the most famous gittite or most famous individual from gath goliath so here's the point when david left philistia he had become so close to some of those philistines that 600 of them followed him or joined him and became part of his team and so when david left israel he brought 600 philistines with him now turn to second samuel 1. Saul has died in battle and so has Jonathan second Samuel one and there happens to be an Amalekite who wants credit for Saul's death one thing that I want you to notice as we read these verses is that many people thought David would be very happy about the deaths of these people that we're going to read about so this Amalekite is walking on the battlefield we can't tell how exactly you know how Saul died? If if, if his armor bearer ran him through, or the Amalekite finished him off. But whatever the case is, this Amalekite sees Saul, and he takes his crown and he wants to bring it to David, expecting to receive a reward. So look at verse 10, 2 Samuel one verse ten. As the Amalekite takes credit for Saul's death, he says, "I stood beside Saul and I killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen, and I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm." and i have brought them here to my lord fully expecting to be rewarded by david but david ended up executing him now turn to second samuel three turn to second samuel three here's the context who's dead by this point saul and jonathan right David has not become king over all Israel yet even with Saul and Jonathan's death David has not become king over all Israel yet because there are still two men that stand between David and the throne one of the men is Saul's general Abner who's also Saul's cousin and right-hand man and Saul's son Ishbosheth, who was a very uh spineless man who became king after his father so standing between david and the throne are these two men abner and ishbosheth and interestingly abner and ishbosheth have this falling out saul's son and saul's general have this falling out after his death and abner decides that he's going to defect and join david look in verse 12. second samoth 3 verse 12 abner sends messengers to david on his behalf and he says to whom does this land belong in other words it belongs to you David make your covenant with me and behold my hand shall be with you to bring all of Israel over to you if you let me defect and join you I will bring all of the tribes under your leadership because Abner had great influence as the general of the Israelite army look at verse 22. just or excuse me here's the context for this Abner comes and joins David and David makes this great feast for Abner to welcome him and celebrate his reception after David has this feast for Abner Abner departs in peace and now look at verse 22 to see what happened just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid bringing much spoil with them but Abner was not with David at Hebron for he this is David had sent Abner away and notice this Abner had gone in peace you notice someone mentioned in this verse it's David's great and ruthless general Joab now let me just ask you how is Joab going to feel about the enemy general coming and joining his king do you think Joab who's fiercely protective of his position as general is going to view Abner as a threat that's exactly what happened so look what he does verse 27 when Abner returned to Hebron joab took abner aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately and he struck him in the stomach so that abner died for the blood of azahel his brother so notice this right after abner leaves this meeting with david he ends up being executed by david's general and right hand man joab now let me ask you how many people stand between david and the throne just one ishbosheth saul's dead jonathan's dead abner's dead ishbosheth is terrified because he was a weak man and he knows that he no longer has abner's protection turn to second samuel four look at verse one when ishbosheth saul's son who's currently king over israel heard that abner had died at hebron his courage failed which was to say he was terrified and all israel was dismayed and he had good reason to be terrified because look what happened in verse 6. verse 6 two men came and they this is two men came into the midst of the house of ishbosheth as if to get weed and they stabbed him in the stomach these two men are rechab and Baana, and then they escaped so they murder ishbosheth and look at verse 8 to see what they did next just like the amalekite well it's a head versus a crown but they bring the head of ishbosheth to david at hebron and why did they bring ishbosheth i know it's graphic but why this is the bible why did they bring ishbosheth's head to david because like the Amalekite, they expected to be what rewarded they thought that david would be pleased with what they had done if they would have known that david was going to execute them like he did they definitely just like if the amalekite would have known david was going to execute him they wouldn't have done this so they said here's the head of ishbosheth the son of saul your enemy who sought your life the lord's avenged my lord the king this day on saul and on his offspring verse 12 david commanded his young men and they killed them and they cut off their hands and feet and hanged them for what they had done beside the pool at hebron but they took the head of ishbosheth buried it in the tomb of abner at hebron all right you're patient while we went through all that for this foundation now let's try to tie this together here so we can see why an accusing person could easily think that David was behind the destruction of the house of Saul first when Saul was when Saul was King David's original team consisted of who individuals who opposed Saul and his reign and David became the leader or the commander over that group second Saul and Jonathan are killed in this battle against the Philistines and I really want you to picture this and how it would seem Saul and Jonathan are killed in a battle against the Philistines who had been living with the Philistines for 16 months leading up to that battle David who had even lined up with the Philistines on their side when they assembled for battle David who was oddly able to come back from philistia after the battle concluded completely unscathed completely unharmed and worsening the perception of the situation he comes back with 600 philistines who have joined him he looks like he's become that close of friends with them why would the philistines attack saul and jonathan but let david return safely third david doesn't want saul jonathan abner or ishbosheth dead but could it easily look like he would want them dead absolutely they are the greatest obstacles to david receiving the throne and they all end up being killed none of them die a natural death so are you telling me david didn't have anything to do with this I am telling you David didn't have anything to do with this but I am telling you it could have looked like he had much to do with this David and Jonathan are friends they try to keep their friendship secret from Saul or they basically try to keep their friendship secret in general because they don't want Saul to know about it because he has lost his mind at this point and he can begin to try to pin his son Jonathan to the wall with a spear just like he had been doing with David which is exactly what happened when Saul learned about David's friendship with Jonathan so you're listening and you're like yeah but what about David and Jonathan's friendship we know about David and Jonathan's friendship because the Holy Spirit reveals it in Scripture but there were two individuals keeping this secret so that Saul wouldn't know about it the Amalekite who brought Saul's crown to David thought that he wanted Saul that David wanted Saul killed and who else could think that probably just about everyone else in Israel who knew that Saul was trying to murder David Abner defects to David now follow this right after abner leaves a meeting with david he is murdered by david's right-hand man who is it going to look like ordered that david are you going to tell me that david's general would do something like that without david's permission now because you know joab you know that he would but other people wouldn't know that and so when david's right-hand man murders the general of the opposing army, it looks like David's fingerprints are on that. David publicly rebuked Joab for murdering Abner, but he did nothing about it. If he was really angry with Joab, he would have executed him as the law commanded. So his leniency toward Joab made him look guilty. Finally, Ishbosheth is murdered. And this removes the last man standing between David and the throne. David has these two men that murdered Ishbosheth executed because, of course, he would want them dead to look as though he is covering up his involvement in the death of ishbosheth and to any curious person they would say well wait a second if joab murdered abner and these two men murdered ishbosheth why would david execute these two men but leave joab alone well he values joab for all of joab's faults he was a ruthless violent general and there's no record of him ever losing a battle." He had incredible influence with the nation so of course David's not going to raise his hand against joab but he's he's completely fine executing these two men who are insignificant to cover up his involvement in the execution of Ishbosheth. now i know what you're thinking you're listening to this and you're like you're kind of like almost rolling your eyes aren't you you're like pastor scott could someone really believe that david was responsible for all this you're about to meet him His name is shimei turn to second samuel 16. and let me give you the context for these verses since we're jumping right into the middle of them there are many low points in david's life obviously one of them we already covered when he had to hide in caves because the king of the nation that he's anointed to rule over is attempting to take his life but i suspect this was probably the lowest moment of david's life he has lost the throne making it worse who's the one who stole it from him by winning the hearts of the people absalom david's own son i mean it would be one thing to lose the throne from the people you've loved and served but then to lose it to your own wicked son making it worse much of the nation that David loved and served turned against him and joined Absalom, including the elders of the land. One of the very prominent leaders of the nation who joined Absalom in his rebellion, I suspect, to uh, greatly pain David was a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba and because Ahithophel was probably angry at David because of his sins with Bathsheba and Uriah when Absalom led this rebellion Ahithophel joined Absalom in that rebellion David was so pained by Absalom's betrayal that he wrote about it in the Psalms and that's the exact verse or Psalm that Jesus quoted to describe Judas's betrayal and so in a sense when Ahithophel betrayed David it prefigured or foreshadowed Judas's betrayal of Jesus and so David has all of this going on and you're like things cannot not get any worse I cannot imagine anyone's life being more miserable than what David's experiencing but it does get worse because Shimei finds David and his men while they're fleeing from Jerusalem look at verse 5. 2 Samuel 16 verse 5. when King David came to Behurim which is a town that's just outside Jerusalem as he flees the capital there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul Whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, and as he came, he cursed continually, and he throws threw stones at David. So as if cursing wasn't enough, he's throwing stones as well, and he throws stones at all the servants of David, and he throws stones at all the people and all the mighty men who are on David's right and left. I read this and I'm like, how many hands did Shimei have here? You know, to be able to throw this many rocks, he's throwing rocks at David, David's mighty men, David's servants, all the people with him. And if there's basically anyone in the entire Old Testament you don't want to throw rocks at it's David's mighty men because they're going to want to come over and take your head off which is what we read later my point in mentioning that is it shows it's almost like Shimei has a death wish but he was still so angry he's willing to risk his life for this opportunity at finally having David at this low point in life where he can attack him like this verse 7 Shimei said as he cursed he says get out get out he means get out of the area where Shimei lived get out of this area you man of blood you worthless man the lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of saul in whose place you have reigned and the lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son absalom see david your evil is on you for you are a man of blood now when shimei called david a worthless man some of you might know this that that's actually the hebrew word belial which is so foul it became a title for the devil belial in the New Testament and so my point is Shimei is not holding anything back he's trying to be as cruel and harsh and offensive as possible now unfortunately and I don't like to ever stand up here and tell you that certain commentaries or Bible teachers are wrong in fact when I see commentaries that disagree with me it gives me considerable pause but I'm convinced that Bible scholars are wrong when they tell you Shimei is crazy They look at this account and because shimei's accusations are so wildly off base they say that the only way a man could believe something like this is if he's crazy but he's not crazy he looked at the circumstances and this is the conclusion that he came to he is one of the best examples in scripture of the danger of being accusing he is convinced absolutely convinced that david has engineered the overthrow of the house of Saul and murdered or had murdered all of the important people that stood between him and the throne Saul Jonathan Ishbosheth, and Abner now if I asked you to tell me what sins have the greatest potential to ruin people's lives I suspect you probably wouldn't have being accusing toward the top of that list but that is the sin that ruined Shimei's life maybe it should be toward the top of the list I want to help us learn from him by providing lessons or reasons to avoid being accusing ourselves and this brings us to lesson one avoid being accusing because part one angers us at the wrong people avoid being accusing because part one angers us at the wrong people what what does it say shimei is from he's from whom or associated with whom the house of saul so for a moment i just want you to consider what shimei lost when the house of david replaced the house of saul if there's any house house just means dynasty or family if there's any house or dynasty you want to be associated with it is that dynasty that is ruling over the nation and we aren't told the exact relationship but shimei was part of that house or dynasty he was related he was part of the royal family and when david became king now shimei is part of a disgraced family everything associated with saul and his name is disgraced and some of that disgraced has reached shimei and he blames david for this one thing that makes this account even more troubling and you might kind of let your minds go back to the sermon I preached on bitterness and bitterness growing down deep and how people there can be a difficulty associated with moving on when we're bitter one of the things that makes this account particularly troubling is when it happens because you read this and you think man Saul must have just died David must have just taken the throne only yesterday David was king for probably 20 to 30 years at this point one timeline I looked at said David was 65. He only lived to be 70, which means this would have been the 35th year of his reign. In other words, not just for years, but for decades, Shimei has been angry with David and this bitterness has been growing in his heart. And so he, if he probably had one wish in all of the world, it would be that David would find himself in a vulnerable position where Shimei could attack him because there's no way that Shimei would have thought about doing this any other time but with David so vulnerable and weak right here it's like his prayer is finally answered and he can come out and attack David he's been waiting so long and it just shows how bitterness does not go away it just grows and grows and grows proverbs 330 says do not contend with a man for no reason do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm a few translations NIV HCSB say do not accuse anyone without cause or without reason when they have done you no harm. And Shimei is a perfect example of disobeying this verse because he had no reason to accuse David and David had done him no harm. But let me ask you this, is it common for us to suffer and want someone to blame? Is it have you ever heard the quote hurt people hurt people? People who are hurt hurt others. People who are hurt lash out at others. They attack, they slander, they accuse. And so what we're seeing here with shimmy is fairly common we have this funny story in our family that happened with one of my children he gave me permission to share it and even use his name but i'm not going to use his name but so a few years ago or maybe more than that katie and i were at this park and we're watching our kids play and we're sitting on this bench and one of our kids is on this swing and something happened he just fell off the swing nobody touched him or anything and he took a little bit of a tumble and it's one of those situations a parent you kind of look and you are know, like is our child okay well we knew it was okay because the child's just springs up really quickly and he's got this super angry look on his face and he's looking around and the reason that katie and i were concerned was we thought we better grab him or he's going to punch someone that's on a swing next to him but nobody had done anything to him it's just common when something bad happens to be angry and tempted to lash out at someone around us when katie and i were going over the sermon she said i stub my toe and i'm looking around the house to see who's not working <laughs> I stub my toe, and I'm looking around the house to see who's not working, because she's going to be doing some spanking. I appreciate my wife's humility in sharing this, because I've, I've definitely seen this with her before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad she had the humor. Never mind. I did go over that with her, and I said, can I make that joke? And she said, that's fine. And I just want to tell you that, because people run up to Katie, and they're like, aren't you mad your husband said that about you on the sermon? I generally ask Katie about anything that I say about her ahead of time, But we can all be like this i'm going through this and i am hurting and i want to blame someone i want someone to be mad at i want someone to suffer with me i have lost relationship to the royal family because they're no longer the royal family and i'm mad and i gonna take it out on someone i'm gonna attack i'm gonna slander i'm gonna gossip i'm gonna do whatever i can to hurt other people because i am hurting right now And so hopefully I can come to mind and discourage this in us the next part of lesson one avoid being accusing because part two it resembles the devil avoid being accusing because part two it resembles the devil maybe you knew this already that the greek word for devil means accuser it's the word diabolos and it means accuser it means prone the definition prone to slander accusing falsely it's also and i quote a metaphor applied to a man who by opposing the cause of God may be said to act the part of the devil or to side with him so the definition for accusing in scripture includes this idea that it is to act the part of the devil or to side with him or to work with him I mean if for no other reason we should be discouraged from being accusing is it shows our partnership with Satan it's like we come alongside him or the the, the definition to goes so far as to say we're acting in his place and we see this frequently when when satan is in scripture he's accusing in job one and two he's in heaven accusing job saying job only yeah yeah jo, job's righteous whatever you say okay you don't know a better man than job right okay but job only serves you because he blessed him so much you stretch out your hand and you afflict him he's not going to keep serving you and then god allows satan to do that Job stays faithful and then Job says well you know what yeah right he's only he's only serving you now because he's not hurting physically and so God allows that and Job still stays faithful Zechariah 3 we see him accusing Joshua the high priest Joshua 3 3 or Zechariah 3 3 excuse me Joshua excuse me Zechariah 3 3 Joshua the high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him you can tell just from that account in job that the devil has access to heaven when the devil finally loses access to heaven and is cast out once and for all no longer able to return it's in revelation 12 and he's described or it is described what he did to lead to his expulsion and of all the ways that he could be described it's repeatedly said that he is the accuser revelation 12 10 i heard a loud voice in heaven saying the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out of heaven who accuses them day and night before our god so this is one great reason not to be accusing giving into this temptation causes us to look like the accuser the next part of lesson one avoid being accusing because part three we could be wrong the next part of lesson one avoid being accusing because part three we could be wrong this might be one of the more obvious lessons from Shimei's life he's, he's not only probably the best human example of being accusing he's the best human example of being accusing and being wrong in all of his accusations basically every single thing Shimei thought or accused David of was wrong look in verse 7 notice the repetition of the word blood Shimei said as he cursed get out get out you man of blood you worthless man then verse eight the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul and then go to the end of verse eight see your evil is on you you're a man of blood so in this short quotation of what Shimei was saying he frequently accuses David of being this man of blood or bloodthirsty man. Which makes sense because he believed that david was responsible for the deaths of saul jonathan abner and ishbosheth and probably others so he sees david as this violent murderous bloodthirsty man and here's why this is so ironic who was violent and bloodthirsty not david saul was probably one of the darkest chapters in all of scripture which doesn't get a whole lot of attention but if you really consider what you're reading it's hard to imagine much worse events taking place saul goes to the town of nob which is filled with priests it was one of the priestly towns spread throughout the nation of israel and because saul was being accusing and convinced that some of these priests were helping david priests who were oblivious to the rift between them because it was very early on in that rift saul has the entire town of priests slaughtered it's so dark to read and consider priests of all people godly servants of the lord and he just murders all of them he tries to murder his own son jonathan he tries to murder david who had blessed him and served him so faithfully now david on the other hand did david have opportunities to execute saul could david have been a man of blood against saul absolutely two well-known accounts first samuel 24 and first samuel 26 david again hiding in caves with his men and who of all people happens to walk into the one of the caves that David's hiding in with his men Saul and he's by himself and David's men say this is it this is the day the Lord has given you he's delivered your enemy into your hand and here's what's interesting about that if I can be honest with you when David's men said the Lord has delivered Saul into your hand it looked like that it looked that way it really looked like god had handed saul to david on a silver platter for him to execute and i think the entire world would have felt like david was justified in doing so and he says i'm not going to raise my hand against the lord's anointed he goes and cuts a little corner of saul's robe off and then interestingly david's conscience was so sensitive he even became convicted about cutting off part of saul's robe later because david is still trying to convince Saul that he means him no harm he sneaks into Saul's camp in the middle of the night with Abishai they come up next to Saul and what does Abishai say basically the same thing the men said in the cave right I told you David's mighty men were violent and they said this is it or Abishai said this is it let me kill him I'll I'll it'll only take one attempt and he will be dead I will not mess I will not mess this up David and David says no we will not do this david deterred repeated attempts from his men to execute saul he repeatedly spared david's life and prevented his men from harming him shimei could not have been wronger second was david repeatedly kind to the house of saul yes he was kind to saul he was kind to his son jonathan and he was kind to mephibosheth jonathan's son it's one of the most beautiful uh, accounts in scripture where david brings in mephibosheth who expects to be executed and david shows him favor unmerited grace unmerited favor excuse me second in verse eight notice he said the lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son absalom shimei said the lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son. was that true no it was not true absalom is going to be dead momentarily he experiences what to me is probably the most humiliating death in all of scripture where he ends up getting caught in a tree by his hair a good lesson for all of the young men here to keep their hair short (laughs) and dies hanging in a tree like that but david didn't command that but the fact is god wasn't giving the kingdom to absalom he was going to give it to another one of david's sons and who's that solomon mostly shimei was wrong because he said david took the throne from saul but god took the throne from saul because of saul's unrepentance in fact if shimei wanted to be angry at anyone he should have been angry at his relative saul so what can we do to avoid being accusing the bible provides two solutions for us lesson two avoid being accusing by part one listening to the other side avoid being accusing by part one listening to the other side nicodemus the same pharisee who visited jesus at night said in john 751 does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does and it's a rhetorical question he's implying no our law does not judge a man without first hearing and learning what he's done he's referring to the mosaic law proverbs eighteen thirteen: if one gives an answer before he hears it is his folly and shame so we're told it's foolish to respond to one side without hearing the other you know I've gotten I get these emails or people comment on my blog and they're angry with their spouse and they and I don't feel I mean occasionally people want counsel most of the time I feel like they just want me to approve their divorce to be honest with you well it it got to the point where so frequently I was telling people that I could not agree or disagree with their side without hearing the other person's side that I copied and pasted that into its own document so I could give everyone the same response because I got so sick and tired of of retyping it so frequently so many people coming but the Bible withholds us or prevents us from doing this like let's say I'm not obviously speaking to these people in person but if this conversation happened in person where someone is just describing their spouse terribly it's tempting to want to say this oh I, I can't believe he did that I can't believe she did that the Bible forbids you from doing that until you've heard the other person's side you must make your best effort to remain as neutral as possible until you've heard the other person's side Shimei's promise he never heard David's side the next part of lesson two avoid being accusing by part two ensuring there are adequate witnesses avoid being accusing by part two ensuring there are adequate witnesses Deuteronomy 19 15 says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established and then to show because we I believe if, if you've sat under my preaching for a length of time you know that I don't I'm convinced we're, the entire mosaic law is not binding for us and most of you believe that too you don't feel bound to keep every single command in the mosaic law but it begs the question well how do we know what commands are still binding and that's a longer answer but i will say this when that command is plucked up out of the old testament and repeated for us in the new testament then we know it's still binding and this idea that individual that two to three witnesses are required it's repeated in matthew 18 16 john 8 17, 2 corinthians 13:1, 1, 1 timothy 5 19 and hebrews ten twenty eight it must be one of the most common commands in the New Testament that two to three witnesses are required I'll provide an example from a situation when Katie and I were in California because then you wouldn't have any idea who I'm discussing so there was a young woman who had become we had become friends with her and her marriage was struggling and so she sits down to tell us about how bad things are and she said that her husband was a drunk She said that her husband left her and the kids. She said that her husband claimed to be a Christian, but there was no evidence of it. And there's other things she said too that I don't want to repeat, but I'll say this. She really could not have made her husband sound worse to us. So we get together with her husband and we find him to be a very forgiving and gentle man. We found him to be working hard to keep his marriage together while she was trying to end it. And so the reason that she came to us and made her husband sound as bad as she did was because she wanted us to go like this. You got to get away from this guy. Just get to the court, get your divorce papers as soon as possible, take your kids and never look back. Well, it might seem tempting to do that when a husband is described as terribly as he was. Fortunately, we didn't do that. We hear this guy's side. And then we learn later that this woman had committed adultery multiple times with three different men. Something that she had never shared with us that her husband shared and was willing to forgive. And then we come back to her and we say, Hey, when you're telling us all that, we need to ask you now. Your husband said that you've committed adultery multiple times with these three men. And she's kind of like, Well, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's really a big deal or, you know, she totally plays it down and minimizes it. It It's just absolutely terrible. She never shared any of that with us. And there have been other situations where you hear something and you just cannot imagine it happening any other way than what you've heard only to hear another side and then learn that there is another side and sometimes it's not even that the first person is lying just because you hear a different side from the second person doesn't mean the first person is lying it simply means that the first person is describing the situation from what their perspective the way they see it and so one reason that god tells us to hear the other side or other sides is not because the first person isn't necessarily lying but so we can get a fuller picture or understanding of what happened as has been said before there are at least how many sides to every situation three <laughs> one person's side the other person's side and the the truth i'll conclude with this much of the sermon has been about david being accused by shimei and I told you that this makes Shimei look like the devil because just like Shimei accused David of sin the devil accuses us of sin but there is one major difference between the devil and Shimei as much as Shimei looks like the devil there is one major difference between them when Shimei accused David he was wrong when the devil accuses you he's not wrong What's one of the most well-known titles for the devil, the father of Interestingly, do you know one time when the devil doesn't need to lie? When he talks about you or when he talks about me or when he tells God the things that we've done wrong. If the devil stood before God and he wanted to accuse me of sin, could he do so very legitimately? He would he doesn't have to make anything up. He doesn't have to exaggerate what we have done. We are all guilty sinners. But the Bible also tells us that as much as the devil is accusing us, we also have someone who is advocating for us on our behalf. First John two one, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, like a defense lawyer with the Father, and that is Jesus Christ the righteous so if you have never repented of your sins you will stand before God someday as a guilty sinner nobody will have to make up lies about you nobody will have to accuse you of anything they will simply have to say what you have done and it will be true it will be enough for you to be found to be guilty but if you're in Christ the devil's accusations pose no threat to you because Christ took the punishment for your sins and gave you his righteousness if you have any questions about anything I shared in this sermon, or I can pray for you in any way, I'd be up front after service and consider it a privilege to speak with you. Father, I thank you for this sobering example of the way that being accusing is so dangerous. It ended up ruining Shimei's life, as we could see if we if we read further. And I pray, Lord, we wouldn't be accusing. We see that it's one way to be perhaps more like the devil than almost anything else that we could do. Help us to think the best until you show us otherwise. Help us not to insert, insert malice if there's ever anything else we can insert uh, to to someone's actions. And so I, I pray, Lord, that we would we would um, resist this temptation when it occurs, that we'd strive to obey Scripture and ensure that matters are established by two or three witnesses. Or and if that's not the case, and that we'd hear the other person's side first. Thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the advocate the defense attorney that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray this in his name. Amen.